Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Another episode of Lords of Limited with your hosts Ben Warney and Ethan Sachs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, how you doing today? I'm doing well, man. It's uh, the, the final day of the show. I have two more performances of the play I'm doing down in South Carolina, and then I fly back tomorrow, back home. So I'm Looking forward to it. It's been a fun show, but uh, I'll be happy to get back back home, back to my my usual groove. Yeah, I imagine that's hard living away from your wife. Yeah, it is hard. I mean, we're we're used to it. It's like sort of the the actor lifestyle is to to go do shows out of town. That's not uncommon, but it doesn't get easier. But we are we, we make it work. You had a pretty exciting week, huh? Your first ever official streamer showdown. I did, yeah. It was a blast. I was so nervous uh, on two fronts. I was nervous that, one, no one was going to be there to watch me because there were tons of popular streamers in my pod. And two, I just wanted to to do well, to play well and draft well. So yeah, it was really cool. Uh, I was definitely nervous during the draft. It was Theros draft. So I was trying to refresh my memory. I managed to do a couple before the actual streamer showdown. I drafted a decent amount of Theros, but not a ton. So yeah, I was in a stacked pod with a bunch of really good streamers, ended up navigating straight into, uh, well, not straight into, but ended up in green, red, splashing blue. Uh, and the one piece of advice everyone gave me was don't be red. Uh, so that was a little awkward. Yeah. But I think our, our deck was good. The curve was a little clunky. I played against MTA uh, in round one, which is super fun games against Megan and Maria. And round two, I played Jim Davis lost a close game three to him and i accidentally punted and took lethal damage which was pretty painful uh, i could have gone to one maybe with a chance of stabilizing but math is hard and then i played against gabby in in round three so that was super cool ended up 2-1 uh we beat mta and gabby and we lost to jim nice congratulations 2-1 very respectable yeah super fun would look forward to doing more in the future nice so enough of this nonsense about theros how are you doing in rivals these days Rivals is going great. Uh, so I've got 80 drafts under my belt, 25 trophies for a 157 and 70 record, 69% win rate. And over my, I was curious because I feel like I've been doing pretty well lately. So over my last 40 drafts, so my second half of my 80 drafts, I have a 75% win rate. Ooh, baby. Look at you. I know. How's it going for you? It is going well. I haven't looked at like how my like last half of my drafts have gone, but uh, so I'm, I'm at uh, 136 drafts, uh, 37 trophies, which puts me at seventh place on the leaderboard. That is insane. I'm working my way up there. I'm only a few trophies away. Oh, great. Yeah, got to get you on that front page. Uh, so I have a 253 to 132 win-loss record for a 66% win rate. So clawing my way back up to that two-thirds win rate. I am certain your win rate has to be insane lately because it feels like you trophy every draft or every other draft. You did like, <laughs> what, four in a row on stream this week or something? Oh, yeah, I did have a 3-0 day on stream. That was that was super fun. We had a 3-0, three trophies in a row, all, all matches we won on stream. That was really, really cool. And didn't you trophy the one that you did off stream like later that day? Yes. Yeah, I get, no, uh, it was like the one after. So it wasn't, wasn't quite a 12-0 day. But yeah. I'm feeling good about the format. People keep asking, like, what do you feel like you're doing differently? Or, like, what's the what change have you made? And it hasn't been anything, like, concrete in terms of, like, oh, I, like, I started doing thing X and then my win rate went up. It just, I just feel very comfortable in the draft. Like, and I feel very comfortable in the games. Like, when my opponent plays, like, Island Miscloaked Herald, I know what I'm up against. Like, I know what I sort of need to do or how I need to craft the game multiple turns ahead. You know, like, I feel like I know the matchups. I know the tricks. It just, I feel comfortable. 
that's exactly what I would say. Like that I feel comfortable is the word I would use. I finally feel like I know the, like the very nitty gradations between cards, like around picks six through 12 that like really make a difference in the overall quality of your deck mm-hmm. and like the, the in-game decisions and stuff like that as well. Like I felt very going to Theros, I felt like so like a fish out of water. And then going, <laughs> when I went back to my next, when I ne- went back to my next RIX draft, I was just like, ah, oh, welcome home. Yeah. Breath of fresh air. I mean, I think it's a really good format. It really is. All right. So we've got a pretty cool episode lined up for you all today. But before we get into that, we have to shout out our new patrons. So we do have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited, where you as a listener have the opportunity to give back monetarily to the show if you so choose. It will always be free, but this is just a way for you to, to help us out and we try and give back something to you as well. So one of the the base level is access to our Discord chat, which is just really exploding. I feel like I'm talking about this every week, but the Lords of Limited Discord is awesome. We we actually had to separate a bunch of uh, different chat sessions into uh, into different logs. So we have like a what's the play section. We have a like help me build my 40 card deck section. There's like a just a general ask a lord section. So we've got these different tiers of like if you want to discuss stuff because everything is is really active. It's really, really wonderful to come home at the end of the day and see like 50 new messages in Discord. It's crazy. You can also get access to our show notes. You can get access to a pre-show recording uh, to get some behind-the-scenes features. And you also get shouted out on the show your first time being a patron. So we want to welcome Ryan, Audrey, Daniel, James, Blake, Nixon, and Michael. Thank you all so much for your support. Can't tell you how much it means to us. Yeah, it's super cool to be creating something like the podcast and then have people care about what you're doing enough or enjoy what you're doing enough to want to give back to you. It's it's an insanely awesome feeling. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So today we want to talk about drafting with a plan. So this actually, I was inspired by a lot of pictures of people's deck lists from our discord chat. Um, because I feel like a lot of people like you know, they, they listen to our podcast or they read articles or listen to other podcasts and they get a lot of, it's a lot of information to soak in about like pick orders or this card is better than this card or this card has gone down, this card has gone up. And so you have these ideas about cards in the abstract or in isolation, but then when cards fit together in a deck, they're often, what you're hoping is for them to be greater than the sum of their parts, right? You're, yes. you're drafting a deck that has synergy, that has a plan, that, that has uses for cards that maybe another deck won't have as good a use for. Um, so I see a lot of pictures of decks with like maybe a pile of good cards, but then my question is, what is the plan with this deck? How are you winning with this deck? How do you envision this deck playing out? So I wanted to make an episode where we talked about that. So we're going to go through an entire draft of mine uh, a little later in the episode, but before we get into that, I want to just talk about a few general thoughts on on this this idea of drafting with a plan. So why don't you start us off, Ben? Yeah, so the first thing you need to keep in mind is after you make your first, I don't know, three to four picks of your draft or something, pick orders are going to start rapidly going out the window. So you have to have a plan in mind when you're drafting cards and make sure you're not just drafting a pile of good cards. And I think that's especially important in this format because you can end up with a bunch of maybe Suncrested Pterodons or a bunch of Legion Conquistadors because you know both of those cards are good, but you're not maybe leveraging them to their fullest potential. So in the right deck, even those specific cards that we know are good are maybe going to be an 8 out of 10 as opposed to a 7 out of 10 or something. So you really need to have your whole deck in mind when you're making picks throughout the draft. For sure. And there are different things you want to consider. So like your creature distribution is going to vary depending on on the deck. An aggro deck is going to want a much more consistent curve, whereas a more mid-range or controlling deck, which are the decks we're generally drafting, those are going to be looking to prioritize curving out at 3 CMC or greater for mid to late game control. And then you'll want creatures for defense, uh, like a few two drops, but you're, you're more looking at that higher curve to take control of the mid to late game. Yes, I would just like to make a public service announcement here on the podcast in case we haven't made this clear. This is not a curve format like every time i'm streaming like at least you know one person in twitch chat or multiple people in twitch chat while i'm drafting my deck say well you need to take a two drop here for the curve or you need to take a three drop here to fill out your curve in my opinion the best decks have the wonkiest looking curves in the format like oftentimes you have 12 three drops or something and maybe two two drops and then like not a lot of fours or and then like maybe five six drops or it, it doesn't really matter what your curve looks like for these late game decks. I mean, you obviously have to make sure you don't get run over by the aggro decks, but more importantly is like the mix of the types of cards that you have 
uh, and what roles they're filling in your deck than actually having a nice looking curve. Yeah, I mean, you can always have access to more two drops in your sideboard. See our sideboarding episode for more on that. But you don't really need more than like four plays before turn three, in my opinion, in your main deck. Like, yeah, you need you need a few two drops. You need a cheap removal spell or, you know, some sort of thing to... A moment of craving. Maybe. A moment of craving. Great. Yeah, perfect two drop. Slash of talents. But you don't need a ton if you've got a good mid to late game deck. And I think another reason that your curve ends up looking terrible, like gets clogged in the three drop slot, is that Luminous Bonds and Water Knot uh, are two of the premium removal spells in the format. Mm-hmm. And they're not really three converted mana cost cards. Like they right. function as like a turn six, turn seven play. So they're not, you can't really factor those into what your curve looks like. But we're so trained to want like, you know, six, two drops, five, three drops, four, four drops, you know, like a beautiful looking curve. And I just don't think that's what this format's about. Right. In addition to uh, not necessarily the best looking curve in the world, you want to make sure you've got, speaking of Water Knot and Luminous Bonds, a decent number of removal spells. I think anywhere from three to six is kind of what I'm looking to have in my deck mm-hmm. of the of the catch-all variety. Like, you know, probably three hard removal spells, like maybe a couple Impales and a Luminous Bonds or two Water Knots and a Hunt the Week uh, at, a, at a minimum, that style of thing. And the more I can get, the happier I am. Right. I doesn't I don't feel bad when I have like I, I've never felt like, oh, I, I have too much removal. That, that that's not a thing I've experienced in this format. No. So you've got creatures, you've got removal spells, and then your final few slots in the deck are going to be dedicated to maybe some card advantage spells, uh, Secrets of the Golden City, a Recover, uh, maybe a Combat Trick. You've got a Moment of Triumph in there, or uh, an Aggressive Urge, which sort of fills both roles. So so then some some filler cards there. But that's sort of what you're thinking about in terms of, like, how, what's the, the components going to be of your 23-24 spell deck? So there's a lot of considerations when you actually get into the draft that have to do with various factors like uh, your playable count. Are you, you know, did you start in the same two color pair and you're going to be fine on playables? Well, then you can probably afford to take a riskier pick, maybe uh, take a flyer on pivoting into another color. Uh, What are your color commitments like? Are you heavy green? Are you heavy red? If you've got a lot of double colored cards in one color, that might mean you can't take a double colored card of another color. What's your curve look like? Have you gotten a couple of those defensive two drops uh, already? Or do you need to spend some picks to make sure you end up with at least one or two defensive two drops? What's the game plan of your deck? How are you going to win the game? Do you have a bomb? Are you aggressive? Are you a mid-range deck? What's the plan? Do you maybe have a an example you can illustrate for us, Ethan? Yeah, so like I think uh, one that comes to mind is the choice between Deadeye Rig Hauler and Spirewinder, right? On face value, they sort of fill similar roles in terms of they're both four drops. They both cost a single blue. But one is much better if you're the beatdown plan, but it's a ground creature. Another is good at stopping opposing flyers and becoming a win condition in the late game. So these are two very different roles. So which is better for your current deck? It's not a toss-up. Like, when you have the choice between these two cards, you are making a decision about what you think your deck is doing in-game. Yeah, that's really that's really important and a really cool idea that just this one pick in a draft, you're making a statement about, well, I want my deck to do X or mm-hmm. I want my deck to beat down. Or I currently feel like my deck is lacking X, so I'm going to fill that role with either the Rig Hauler or the Spirewinder in this case. Yeah, for sure. On Magic Online, I think, so we were saying it's not a curve format. So when I say drafting with your curve in mind, uh, I don't necessarily mean like making sure it looks like the pretty, you know, two, three, four curve we're used to, but just like keeping in mind, like what your plays are looking like or what your creature count is like. These are all super easy things to be able to do on Magic Online right in front of you. Something that I like to do that I would encourage our listeners to do is to be very clear about what is in your main deck during the draft. I so often see people at the end of the draft with like, 33 cards in their main deck (laughs) and i don't think that's very i think that is just hurting you as a drafter it shows me two things it shows me one that you you now have a lot of work to do at the end of the draft but two it shows me that you haven't been thinking during the draft about what your deck's plan is that you're just like i'll figure it out later and that's hurting you while you're making picks if you are much clearer on like these are the 17 cards i know i'm playing and then i've got 
you know, in your sideboard, maybe you make a column of cards that like, these are the like contenders for filling out the curve, but I'm waiting for more like definitely going to make my deck cards. Then that's going to help you when you get to pack three to look at like, okay, well, what my deck really needs is this card, but I have access to it in the sideboard. So maybe I don't need that one. I can take this contract killing or whatever. So really use the fact that you can look at all your picks and manipulate them during the draft to your advantage. And definitely, if Ethan's watching you, make sure you've got everything in the exact right spot on the curve. No, yeah. no one drop sitting on top of two drops. None of that business. And, and please put your lands in the sideboard. Please put your lands in the sideboard. I'm, I'm a little... I generally do what Ethan's talking about here, but I'm a little haphazard with where things are placed sometimes. But I, I, think that's I know a leak. where they are. I think it's a leak. Uh, nah. I got it all straight upstairs in my head. <laughs> Okay, so another important thing to keep in mind when you're drafting is that duplicates of cards can sometimes have diminishing returns. So uh, the first example that comes to mind here for me is Moment of Craving versus Impale. And just recently, I think I'm going to take the first Impale over the first Moment of Craving, but this Mm. is super close. uh, But I really value having a way to deal with anything. And I I feel less afraid of the aggro decks than I did at the beginning of the format, Mm -hmm. um, which is where Moment of Craving really excels. So for those two cards, for example, I think I'm going to pick the first Impale over the first Moment, but I would much rather have one of each before I have two of one. Like I would much rather have an Impale and a Moment of Craving before I've got two Impales. And then I think past that, I would want, you know, maybe like a four to two ratio, like I'd want four impales and two moment of cravings or something if I could have my ideal mixture. Mm. But just keeping in mind multiples of good cards, how good is the second copy? How good is the third copy? And in Legion Conquistadors, I think that runs all the way up to six, probably. (laughs) Yeah, but but I think like that sort of does the reverse. Like once you have the first Legion Conquistador, the second one goes way, way up. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Which is like different than what you're talking about with the removal spells. Yes, mm-hmm. an inverse relationship. Yeah, I think color commitments are a consideration as well. Like double-colored spells, like Water Knot and Exultant Sky Marcher. Those are like good plays for three. Water Knot better than Sky Marcher, but only if blue or white, depending on which card we're talking about, is your primary color. So it's I think important to note, like if you're more black than blue, Water Knot is maybe not the yes, it's probably the most powerful card in the pack for you to take, but is it? the correct pick for your deck in particular, right? So like pack one, pick one, water knot's great. But then down the line, once you realize like, well, how often am I going to have double blue in this deck? Then maybe it's not what you want to take. How often am I going to have double white in my deck? Am I going to really be able to curve out with Exultant Sky Marcher? Or is it going to, am I going to get hung up with this card stuck in my hand because I only have seven white sources in my deck? Yeah, I think this is the format for the first time since we've been doing the podcast that there's been really good doubled mana cost cards at like three mana and four mana Mm -hmm. in a bunch of different colors. Like I don't remember having thought about that before since we started the podcast. And that's one of the reasons I really value Evolving Wild so highly now Mm. because it just goes in your two colored decks uh, to help you hit your your powerful three and four drops on time. I can't tell you how many times I've lost a game due to not hitting my second black for Ravenous Chupacabra. Like, because it's not, you know, like, because you jam that card in your deck, but like black wasn't your primary color. So maybe I've only got seven swamps or something. And it it's it's a real thing. Yeah, definitely true. The last thing, a uh, piece of advice we've got for you here is to really check in with your draft at the end of each pack. What does your deck look like at the end of pack one? What does it look like at the end of pack two? And this is something, you know, that'll really help you see if you do what Ethan was talking about and you really keep things that aren't definitely in your main deck in the sideboard. Are you solidly in two colors? Do you have options to be like any combination of three colors? Can you afford to move into black if you open a ravenous chupacabra or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Do you really need to get your playable count up? Maybe do you floundered around in pack one? So what what sorts of things do you have to prioritize going into the current pack? Yeah, I think being an active participant in the draft like that is really going to increase the synergies of your deck because you will be already primed going into pack two to be like, this is what I need to look out for. I need to decide what my second color is and I need removal spells or whatever it is. Like figuring out what your deck is lacking or the direction your deck is going to be good in i think is really important amen all right so for better or worse we are going to look at the entirety of this draft that i did oh it's gonna it's gonna be for better how could you even say that (laughs) well i'm a little i texted you last night i was like i'm a little embarrassed like i was looking through your review of some of my picks and even like a few days out i was like yeah why did i make that pick you know so and that's a you know i'm I'm feeling not so lordly going through this oh you're feeling a little little vulnerable okay vulnerable a little sensitive 
I was just, I thought you were just like maybe not looking forward to looking at a whole draft. And I was oh, no. just wondering who my podcast partner was. <laughs> no, 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 please. And especially this draft is quite spicy, as you will see. So we're probably not going to go through, you know, a ton of picks per pack because we're trying to go through 45 picks here. Um, but we are going to go through each and every pick and discuss like what our thought process would be around those cards and how we're drafting with a plan here. So you want to kick us off with pack one, pick one? Yeah. And I think, you know, this will be good practice if you're somebody that drafts on MTGO all the time, like trying to keep track of what we've got in audio form is really good practice for an actual draft. You know, this isn't that far off. Uh, I think it could be a little daunting maybe to think, oh, I'm listening to a whole draft in a podcast, but this isn't really that far off from what you have to do in a paper draft, right? You have to keep track of your picks as you make them uh, looking forward to the next pick. Oh, wait, hold on. What do you mean drafting in paper? <laughs> that's, a, that's a thing people do sometimes. I don't know. Wait, what do you mean? That doesn't make sense. You sit down at a table. Are you like joking right now? Or yeah, I'm joking. joking. Okay. <laughs> I now. lost it. All right. Got him. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you were so serious. Yeah, that's acting, baby. All right. You got me good. Gotcha. Pack one, pick one. You sit down and you see the following cards. Squire's Devotion, two and a white for, oh, I just didn't even, I was just reading. I was so shocked by what just transpired. I forgot that Squire's Devotion was my bae. <laughs> Squire's Devotion, my girl. You were like, oh, what's this card? Oh, I like yeah. this card. <laughs> Two and a white for the enchantment. Uh, enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one, and lifelink. And when it enters the battlefield, you make a one, one lifelink vampire. Impale. Two black, black. Sorcery. Destroy. Target creature. Reckless Rage. Red mana for the instant. Uh, deals two damage to target creature you control and four damage to target creature you don't control. And Rekindling Phoenix. Two red, red for the four, three flying phoenix. Oh, Lord. Whenever rekindling phoenix dies, it reenters the battlefield as like a zero one hatchling token. And then at the beginning of your upkeep, you sacrifice that token, return rekindling phoenix from your graveyard to the battlefield, and it has haste. I believe that's the text of that card. You like basically got it. It's an elemental. When it dies, you create a zero one. It doesn't like turn into the zero one. It's still dead. So like if you kill the zero one, the thing stays dead. Yes. Yeah, I mean, this is pretty much a no-brainer. I feel like we can... Not only is Rekindling Phoenix the most expensive card in the set by, like, so many country miles. It's like $30 on Magic Online. But it's a bomb. It's like, you know, they need two removal spells to kill it or to, like, trade with it in combat and then a removal spell for the zero one one token. So I just slam that and try and play red. Yep. All right, so pack one, pick two. Uh, cards in consideration, we've got a Kitesail Corsair. One and a blue for the 2-1 Human Pirate. Uh, that when it attacks it as flying, there's another impale. There's a knight of the stampede. That's the three and a green for the two four human knight that makes dino spells cost two cheaper. And there's a jungle creeper, uh, one black green for the three three elemental that can return from your graveyard to your hand for three black green. I think this is another fairly straightforward pick here. Uh, worth noting, there's no red cards that are in contention in the pack, so... Probably the best one is Frilled Death Spitter. That's the two and a red three two with enraged deal two damage to a player. Yeah, and that's that's so much worse than these other cards that you're not even thinking about that here, at least in my mind. Yeah. So I think then we're just trying to pick the best of these four cards, and I think that's head and shoulders and pale above the rest. I agree. That is what I took. I think it's like, you know, I often talk about when I open a card like Chupacabra or Tetsamok or even Rekindling Phoenix, like, I really want to try and get that card in my deck. Like, if I open Tetsamok, I am trying to be black, so much so where I will, like, take subpar black cards over other better cards and other colors so that i can like make sure that black is my primary color and like try and cut it or whatever to navigate the draft that way so i feel that way about rekindling phoenix but i'm not gonna take a death spitter over an impale here that just seems too extreme yeah i agree moving on pack one pick three you see the following options uh knight of the stampede three and a green for the two four that makes your dinos cost two less a jungle born pioneer two and a green for the two two merfolk that brings a one one merfolk hexproofer along with it Stormfleet Swashbuckler, one in a red for the 2-2 two, two Pirate, that when you have the City's Blessing gets Double Strike, and Evolving Wilds, the land that can tap, sack, and fetch for any basic land, and Zakama, Primal Calamity, six green, white, red for the 9-9 nine, nine Dinosaur that when it enters the battlefield, untap all lands you control, has two in a red activated ability to deal three damage to a creature, two in a green, destroy target artifact or enchantment, and two in a white, gain three life. And there also are literally no black cards in the pack, worth noting. Yeah, for sure. So I've played with Zakama before. You've played with Zakama before. 
It's a powerhouse, right? It's a bomb, yes. And something that you can work towards casting. Right. A bomb with a capital B, and it is is possible to cast in this format. The format is slow enough, and there are the tools in the format to be able to cast it. And it's red, so we could still play our Phoenix, right? Yes, absolutely. I think it's a windmill slam here. I don't even think it's particularly close, because that also means that two people to your right were not interested in trying to do this. Right. Which means they're probably not playing dinosaurs. Yeah, so you'll, you're, you can expect to get the tools for this kind of deck or this kind of support for this card from at least two people to your right. Yeah, so I think once you pick the comma, there's a huge mental shift that needs to go on in your brain because that's like a, a thing that's going to dictate the entire rest of your draft. Mm-hmm. So the first thing is you know you want to be some sort of a controlling deck, right? Because you've got to hit land drops to get up to nine mana. Yes, correct. Mana fixing becomes a higher priority, right? We have green, white, red in the casting cost, so we need to make sure we pick up fixing. And worth noting also that you do not have to be Naya colors to play Zakama, right? I've played Zakama in a blue-black deck before. Mm -hmm. Removal becomes way higher priority because we want to make it to the late game, so we need to have ways to interact with our opponent's stuff to make sure that we can get to 9 mana and cast our bomb. We also have not necessarily given up on playing Impale yet. Like, as I've said, I've played Zakama in a blue-black deck, but it's possible we won't, especially after seeing no black cards in this pack. That's a fairly large signal. Uh, not maybe large, but something to take note of, pack mm-hmm. one, pick three. Um, and then if possible, we'd really like to have red be one of our primary colors uh, so that we can play both Rekindling Phoenix and Zakama. So that's a lot of information to have in your mind in terms of how you want the draft to go in three picks, Right. You're you're talking about a lot of things. You're looking at a lot of decision points with only three cards under your belt, which I think is really important. That was exactly my thought process of like, all right, this card is going to dictate the rest of this draft for me. Yeah, for sure. And also worth noting that we've now seen in pack one, pick two, and pack one and pick three, we've seen two Knights of the Stampedes that we are really hoping to wheel was the common in our pile. Yes, for sure. All right, so going on to pack one, pick four, you see the following cards in contention. Divine Verdict, three and a white for the instant destroy target attacking or blocking creature. There's Relentless Raptor, that's red-white for the 3-3 dino with Vigilance, and it attacks or blocks each combat if able. There's a Hardy Veteran, uh, one and a green for the 2-2 Human Warrior. As long as it's your turn, it gets plus O, plus two. And Brazen Freebooter, three and a red for the 3-3 Human Pirate. When it enters the battlefield, it makes a treasure. Yeah, this is our first, like, tough choice here i think that we faced yeah there's reasonable options i think i think all of divine verdict actually they're all sort of reasonable you could make a case for all of them hardy veteran locks up a two drop uh but it's maybe a little early to be doing that in my opinion yeah so i'm the least excited i think about hardy veteran relentless raptor if we do end up base red white is going to be very strong two drop it's good at on offense it's good on defense too like a three three that has to block every turn also holds down the ground very well your opponent's probably gonna have to have a removal spell or a combat trick to punch through it and then divine verdict we have no removal yet uh, other than impale which we probably aren't going to play and brazen freebooter ramps us it makes a treasure a three three bodies respectable so for me i think i would narrow it down to divine verdict and freebooter and i think i would take divine verdict to just lock up my first uh, removal spell, even if it's sort of clunky. Yeah, I think that is probably right. I, I'm not happy with my pick here. I took Relentless Raptor, and I'm not, I can't even really defend what my thought process was at the time, because I think it is actively not the kind of card that belongs in this deck. I think looking at this, so I really want a Brazen Freebooter in this deck, probably, but the four drop slot gets so clogged, and Freebooter usually wheels. Like, mm-hmm. you usually can get them pretty late, so I don't feel like I need to take it here. So then that puts it between, I think, Verdict and the Frilled Death Spitter that's in the pack, the two and a red, three, two with Enrage, just as like a good early defensive play. But I probably would just land on Divine Verdict reluctantly um, if I were to do this draft again. Yeah. All right, moving on to pack one, pick five. You see the following options here. Evolving Wilds, the Fetch Land, Suncrested Pterodon, four and a white for the two five flying dinosaur with Dino Vigilance, and Stampeding Horncrest, four and a red for the four four dinosaur with Dino Haste. Yeah, so this pack I think is a lot clearer of a choice between... I would rule out Stampeding Horncrest pretty quickly um, and put it between Evolving Wilds and Suncrested Pterodon. As you said before, we're definitely going to want to look for like mana fixing in the pack, but I think Suncrested Pterodon is too important in terms of like doing a lot for this kind of deck. Like It just brickwalls so many creatures to allow you to have the time to cast Sakama that I think I would take it over Evolving Wilds at this point. 
I agree. I think I would be on Suncrested Pterodon here, but it's important. Like this is a, so both of Evolving Wilds and Suncrested Pterodon are like the best cards in their category uh, in the set, in my opinion. I think Suncrested Pterodon is probably the best defensive card in the set. Mm-hmm. I think Evolving Wilds is the best mana fixer in the set, but I agree with what you said. I think Suncrested Pterodon is more unique in what it offers to the deck. So mm-hmm. I'd be on that here, but next time we're faced with the same choice, I think I might be on Evolving Wilds uh, and take a nod to the mana fixer once I've got my first Suncrested Pterodon locked up. Right, and so this is exactly what we were talking about before in terms of like diversity of spells or diversity of cards that once we have the first suncrested pterodon if we're presented with this choice exactly or a similar choice that we'll want the first mana fixer before the second copy of suncrested pterodon so that that's something to keep in mind in terms of like how you're rating these cards so these pick orders are are now so much in flux as we're getting deeper into the draft Pack one, pick six, you see the following cards. There's a recover, two and a black for the sorcery to return target creature from your graveyard to your hand and you draw a card. Sun-collared raptor, uh, one and a red for the one-two dinosaur with trample and like super fire breathing, two and a red, it gets plus three plus oh until end of turn. Patent pending. <laughs> super fire breathing. <laughs> uh, we'll have to workshop that one. Uh, Colossal dreadmaw, four green green for the six-six dinosaur with trample and foul orchard, that's the black green dual land. Yeah, this is a tough choice here. Uh, There's not like great options for pack one, pick six. Mm -hmm. You know, Recover goes along with our Impale that we've got, but I I think that Impale Dream is slowly dying here. Mm -hmm. Suncollared Raptor is a two drop, not a good defensive two drop. So where I really like Suncolored Raptors in like a red-green dinosaur beatdown deck, um, and I know Ryan likes it in his red-black mid-range deck with some recovers, mm-hmm. Colossal Dreadmaw is a fine finisher in a deck uh, like this, in an Aya Dinosaurs deck. I really value the first copy pretty highly. And then Foul Orchard here could potentially keep the Impale Dream alive for us in a Zakama-type deck, like if we were still black base somehow, uh, splashing a Zakama. I think I would, that seems unlikely to me though, so I think I would lock up my first copy of Colossal Dreadmaw here. Yeah, I agree. In retrospect, I would have taken Colossal Dreadmaw here, but I was, this is what I was feeling is that I really wanted to play, I still wanted to play Rekindling Phoenix. And so I was hoping to be like, I guess it still doesn't matter. Like I could just have been red green and then have the Suncrested Pterodon as a splash. Um, I took the Foul Orchard here to try and keep the Impale Dream alive, but I think that's just trying to do too many things. Like I don't need to be trying to play Phoenix, Zakama, and Impale. It's just like, I don't need all that power in one deck. So I think probably just taking Dreadmaw would have been the better option. Yeah. Pick seven, we see the following options. Traveler's Amulet, one mana for the Artifact Fixer. You can pay a mana and sacrifice it and go get a basic land out of your deck, kind of Evolving Wilds minus. Maybe two minuses or three minuses. It's considerably worse than Evolving Wilds. Gleaming Barrier, two mana for the 4 Artifact that when it dies, you get a treasure. And Pirate's Pillage, your boy. Mm-hmm. Three and a red for the Sorcery. Let's see, I don't even know what this card does. When oh you, my god. When you cast it, you... It's Tormenting Voice discard yes you discard a card and then draw two cards and then you make two treasures right yeah obviously i've not cast pirates pillage yet i'm missing out you are missing out so i think it's pirates pillage here and i think it's not close because you have zakama i think pirates pillage is like at its best in a deck with zakama because it not only digs you towards that card but it ramps you towards the card as well no, I agree. I think Pirate's Village is the pick here, and I think it's going to be very good in your deck. So each of one of these things offers something fixing and defensive speed. And Gleaming Barrier, I think you can get later in the draft than this. And I think Pirate's Pillage is a better fixer than Traveler's Amulet. I agree. Yeah, I, w- I would play probably two Pirate's Pillage in a deck that had uh, as a comma. Um, so I was happy to grab that here. Pick eight. Uh, we've got an Atzikin Seer. That's one green white for the two three human druid that taps for any man of uh, a man of any color, and you can sacrifice it to return a dino from your graveyard to your hand. Uh, there's a Frill Death Spitter again, and there's a Cacophodon, the bane of all water knots, three and a green for a 2-5 dino with Enrage, untap target permanent. Yeah, we still don't really know what colors we are yet, uh, and I think Atzikin Seer is like really, really good in a dinosaur's deck. It does everything we want. It fixes our mana, it ramps us towards Zakama, and if one of our big dinosaurs dies, it can buy it back. Uh, so I think that despite the fact that we're, you know, like... Not sure what colors we are yet, and Cacophodon or Frilled Despot is a safer pick. I think we want to take a flyer here on Atzikin Seer and take the powerful card and see if we can't be uh, making our mana work to cast it. Yeah, I agree. That's what I grabbed. Pack one, pick nine. Pretty easy choice here between Sun Sentinel and Naturalize. Not a lot in the pack. Sun Sentinel is the one in a white for the 2-2 Vigilance, and Naturalize, one in a green, destroy target artifact or enchantment. Yeah, I think that, you know, people who would listen to our sideboarding episode would be like, well, you take Naturalize here for sure. But we're bobbing and weaving a lot in this pack. 
uh, still trying to figure out like what colors were going to be. And so I think when you're in that situation, you want to take the like filler to drop over the powerful sideboard card. I agree. Well, and this also like makes it so that we don't have to spend a future pick on a two drop, maybe like a, a higher pick. So locking one up pick nine here is just nice to be able to check off that box. Yes, I've got something to block with on turn two. Right. Pick 10, uh, a couple dinos came around, and a Rosca Raptor, that's two red red for the 3-4, and a Rosca Frillback, two and a green for the 4-2. But also Stone Quarry came around, which is the tapped dual land for red and white, which is awesome for a deck trying to cast a comma. Yeah, just snap up Stone Quarry here, not close. Really, really nice to see that that late. Pack 1, pick 11, there's Stormfleet Swashbuckler again. That's the 2-2 Double Striker that came back around on the wheel. Jungleborn Pioneer also came back around on the wheel. The 2-2 make a 1-1 in green. And Stone Quarry, another red-white dual land. Yeah, so I think, again, you grab the fixing here, though pretty crazy to see these like fine to good two and three drops in colors we might be. That's just like all making me feel good about where we're at in this draft. Yep, for sure. And then the draft rounds out. Pick 12, you get a Brazen Freebooter. Pick 13, you get an Aggressive Urge, the one in a green plus one plus one draw card combat trick. Pack one, pick 14, you get a Shatter, which is in fact in this set. <laughs> I literally never saw it until we talked about it, and now I see it all the time. Good. Uh, imagine that. And then last pick, you grab a Mountain. Which is a signal that red is open, I think. Yes, obviously. Yeah. All right, so what are the things that you're thinking about at the end of pack one going into pack two with what we have so far? So I just want to kind of take stock of what type of cards we have. So in the bomb wind condition department, we've got Zakama and Rekindling Phoenix. Like we're doing great there. Those are two insane powerhouse cards. Uh, if we didn't get any more wind conditions, we'd probably be all right. You know, we'd, we'd like to pick up one or two more, but feeling very good about that department uh, in our power level. We should say that we're only going to be discussing the picks that I actually made after we like discuss what like maybe we should have done for each pick but for these like summaries we're going to discuss what i actually had in my pile rather than being like oh well we also if we had taken that dread maw we would have had another win condition that just feels like too much to keep in our heads so we're just going to talk about what i actually took yep we've got one piece of removal in impale that we're unlikely to play black was super cut in our seat despite the fact that we took that green black dual land so i think that dream's probably dying we have zero removal in the naya colors and this needs to be a priority for us going into pack two defensive speed we've got two two drops the sun sentinel and the relentless raptor uh, are probably okay in that department especially if we end up base white red for ramp and fixing we're doing great in this department we've got atzikin seer pirates pillage the two red white duels and a black green duel flying defense we have a sun crested pterodon uh, we could use some more of this going into packs two and three for sure and also worth noting we didn't wheel either knight of the stampede from pack one pick two and pack one pick three so there's at least probably one other person trying to do dinosaurs at the table and the other thought i've got is that since we've got rekindling phoenix we probably want to be base red if we can swing it yeah for sure i think i agree with all of that and the fact that brazen freebooter and uh pirates pillage are also red and provide fixing and ramp for you i think that's another incentive to be base red all right, so going on to pack two, pick one, we see the following cards in contention. There's a Snubhorn Sentry, single white for the O3 Dino with uh, Ascend. If you have the City's Blessing, it gets plus three, plus O. There's a Gleaming Barrier, that's the two-mana artifact O4 Defender. There's another Stampeding Horncrest, a Colossal Dreadmaw. There's a Sea Red, one in red for the Aura Enchant Creature. Enchanted Creature gets plus two, plus one, and has first strike. And at the end of your turn, if you didn't attack with a creature this turn, you sacrifice Sea Red uh, and another Traveler's Amulet. Yeah, this is not like what we really want to be opening. Pack two, pick one. Mm -hmm. Lots of options here. I think, you know, you might be inclined to take Sea Red, uh, but I think that card is sort of a trap uh, for the deck we're drafting right now. Because we're not planning on winning through like aggressive attacking. We're planning on stalling out and winning with our late game bombs. So I think we want to rule out Sea Red despite it being a powerful card. And then of the things that are left, uh, I think I like Colossal Dreadmaw the best. Just locking up another finisher here. Yeah, I agree. I also think we're like probably also want to be base green because of Atzikin Seer. I guess you could also just be base white and splash green, but the, the Atzikin Seer is, is also sort of skewing my picks here a little bit because like it's so good for fixing and you don't want to like splash for it, but then we also want to be base red and feeling pulled in a lot of different directions, but I, I also settled on Colossal Dreadmaw here. All right, moving on to pack two, pick two. You see the following options. Luminous Bonds, two and a white for the pacifism effect. And Itali Primal Storm, four red red for the 6-6 six, six dinosaur. And when it attacks, you reveal cards off the top of each player's library and you may cast them without paying their mana cost. 
Yeah, I mean, this was just like the test of my greed right here. <laughs> right? Like, you've got just like a very good removal spell, which we don't have any of right now, that's like easy to cast because it's a single white. Or do we want to take another bomb, basically? Like, we've already got Sakama and Rekindling Phoenix and Dreadmaw now. Do we need another bomb? I don't know. That's unclear. I I, I would be on Atali here, uh, but I think this pick's super close, and I think it might even be correct to take Luminous Bonds. Yeah, I, I think if I were to go back, I would take Luminous Bonds here. Atali is sweet, but again, like, we don't need it. We have finishers. What we need is removal. Like, we gotta be... We came into this pack being like, look, we have two bomb rares already that we'd like to play. And that's more than you often get in a draft anyway, right? Like, and now we've got Dreadmaw as well. That's like, you know, it's not like a bomb, but it is a good finisher. I think we, we probably should have taken the Luminous Bonds, but whatever. We got we got Greedy and we took Atali. All right, going on to pack two, pick three. We see the following cards. Another Snubhorn Sentry. Another Gleaming Barrier. A Knight of the Stampede, finally. And another Cacophodon. Yeah, I think you're just snapping up Knight of the Stampede here. You are thrilled to see that. It's going to make your Zakama cost two less to cast and your Colossal Dreadmaul and your Atali that you've got in your deck. It's just going to be great. Yeah, I took that as well. Moving on to pack two, pick four, you see the following options. Suncollared Raptor, Raptor Companion, one and a white for the 3-1 Dinosaur, and a Charging Tuscadon, three red red for the 4-4 with Trample, and whenever it deals damage to a player, it would deal double that damage instead. I mean, this is tough, so you've got like like not great two drops raptor companion and sun color raptor and then you've got a really good five drop but like how much top end do we actually need in this deck more more top end i mean i did take charging tusket on here but i think I, you gotta probably draw the line in the sand at that card and be like i can't take anything that costs five or more now yep you've got all all the finishers you could ever dream of needing and you might you probably depending on how fixing ends up you would upgrade i think i would play sun crested pterodon overcharging tuscadon in this deck i agree yes i think it's a more important card for the deck yeah i want that defensive flying five toughness more than i want another like thing that can close out the game i'm not not a short up on things that are going to close out the game in this deck pack two pick five we see a choice between a knight of the stampede a hardy veteran and an atzikin seer yeah, this is a super interesting choice because we still haven't really locked in on what combination of the Naya colors are our base colors. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a pretty defining pick here for the draft. So what it boils down to me immediately to is Knight of the Stampede and Atsikens here. Knight of the Stampede offers like really premium ramp towards Dreadmaw, Atali, and Zakama. And Atsikens Seer offers slightly slower ramp, but probably a more intrinsically powerful card uh, than Knight of the Stampede. It comes down a turn earlier. It can buy back a dinosaur, but it's also way harder to cast. And if we're splashing Atsikens Seer, that's like a tough spot to be in. Yeah. So I think I would lean towards Knight of the Stampede here. After picking up another Knight of the Stampede and picking up Colossal Dreadmaw, we've got three big dinosaurs that we really want to ramp into. It's a super close pick, though, and I, I wouldn't fault anybody for going either way, but I think I would be on Knight here over Atsikens here. I grab the Atsikens here, and I get, again, I think it is super close. If we didn't have both stone quarries, the red-white dual lands already, I would feel much less confident about this pick, but it feels like we're so close to being able to splash this pretty effectively if we are red-green splashing white that I wanted to pick this up here. Or I guess if we were... The, the awkward thing, it's really only good if we're red-green splashing white, right? That's the only way that the stone quarries end up being pretty good. Like, if we're red-white splashing green, then the quarries don't really help us out that much. Right. Yeah, so I guess with that in mind, I would, I'm would i on Atsikens here, but thinking that we're, we're going to be base red-green at this point. Yes, that's what I would be thinking too, even, even if we're picking the Atsikens here, because I really, like, I don't want to give up on Rekindling Phoenix. Mm-hmm. All right, moving on. Pack two, pick six. We see my boy again, or my girl, rather. <laughs> uh, Squire's Devotion, <laughs> two and a white for the plus one, plus one lifeling enchantment, and an exultant Sky Marcher, one white, white for the two, three flying vampire. This isn't that close for me. I mean, I'm just taking Squire's Devotion. I don't want to take... We're talking so much about how much our, like, mana is so screwed up in this draft. Like, I don't want to take Exultant Sky Marcher here. I just want to take Devotion. Um, it doesn't quite shore up any of the holes that we were talking about our deck had so far, but it does add something which I think is really nice to be able to, like, be behind and then put this on, like, one of our 4-4s four or 6-6s six and be able to get a huge life swing in our favor. So I think it does help you play from behind against some aggro decks. 
Agree. All right, pack two, pick seven. Pretty unexciting. Uh, there's a Forsaken Sanctuary, the white-black dual land. Are we still trying to keep that Impaled Dream alive? Uh, there's a Raptor Companion, one on white for the 3-1, and a Sun Sentinel, one on white for the 2-2 Vigilance. Yeah, I think the Impaled Dream is dead. And I think of these 2-2 drops between Sun Sentinel and Raptor Companion, I would settle on Raptor Companion because I think it is a better defensive card than Sun Sentinel. Like, it can actually trade up on blocks. Mm -hmm. So I think I'd be on Raptor Companion here and really looking to prioritize removal. It also lets you uh, double spell with, like, Knight of the Stampede, which is not irrelevant. Um, So I think I like that. Like, the the fact that it has a dinosaur creature type makes Mm -hmm. it a little better than Sun Sentinel at this point for our deck. Whereas, like, I think in the abstract, I would rather have Sun Sentinel. Oh, that's interesting. I I would rather have Raptor Companion as a defensive two-drop. I don't know. That one toughness makes me so nervous. All right, moving on. We've got pack two, pick eight. There's a Famished Paladin. That's one and a white for the three-three. It doesn't untap during your untap step. Whenever you gain life, you untap it. Uh, Another Divine Verdict. Three and a white. Destroy target attacking or blocking creature. And there's an Orozco Frillback for some filler dinosaur life. Two and a green for the four-two. Yeah, this is another interesting pick. I think ultimately it it lands down to Famished Paladin versus Verdict. Famished Paladin's a premium defensive two drop. But my question is, I'm not convinced that we're base white here. Mm -hmm. And we know we need removal. And Divine Verdict's like a removal spell. It's not a great one, but it does let you interact with things that are killing you uh, at the cost of holding up four mana. So I think for me, I would settle on Divine Verdict here just as a nod to how desperately we need a way to interact with our opponent. Yeah, I should have taken it here. I think you just got in my head from last week's episode about Divine Verdict being, like, clunky and tough to play around, and I felt like I would get super punished in this deck for, like, trying to pass with four mana up because of how hungry our deck is to, like, play these expensive creatures. So I settled on taking Famished Paladin here, which I really don't like in retrospect because it sort of, with, like, Famished Paladin and I've got, like, a Raptor Companion and we have a Sun Sentinel, like, all these... two drops in white are making me feel like I need to be base white where I don't really have any other reason to be white other than like sun crested pterodon right right and the Attican seers and the seers that's true that's true and the seers um but I think I should have taken divine verdict here moving on to pack two pick nine you see the following options uh traveler's amulet versus gleaming barrier so you've got a choice here between fixing and defensive speed Yeah, I like Traveler's Amulet much more than Gleaming Barrier. Gleaming Barrier is not a card that I'm really impressed with. It's not the kind of two-drop I like because it doesn't really interact with the evasive threats and you don't get your fixing when you want it necessarily. So I I really want to grab this Traveler's Amulet here. I agree. It adds a lot to the deck, especially since we don't have an Evolving Wild yet. Mm -hmm. Round out this pack with not a ton of interesting picks. Pick 10, picked up a Sun-Colored Raptor over an Aggressive Urge. Pick 11, we had the choice between Gleaming Barrier and Hardy Veteran. Um, you said you'd be on Hardy Veteran here. Why? Yeah, because I think I, I'm looking to be more base green red with the mm-hmm. picks that we've got at this point, based on our discussion earlier. But I, 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 given the picks we've made, I think Gleaming Barrier is fine. Yeah, I liked it as a colorless two drop just because I didn't know what my like color commitments was going to be. And I felt like I already had like a Raptor Companion and a, I, had, I had like two drops in white. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I took the barrier here. Uh, we got a late Everdon champion, which again I don't think we're gonna play if we're if we're double if, because of the double white. But uh, we we could. This is the one white white two two human soldier that has protection from combat damage, as Ben likes to say. Pick thirteen, we get a frilled death spitter, and pick fourteen, we get an overgrown armasaur, which is the three green green four four dino with enrage make a one one sapperling. So getting some like filler dinosaurs towards the end here in our Naya colors is still pretty nice. And we get a forest, so that we know green's open. Exactly. We get a forest last, we know green's open. All right, so really, really tough. We're coming down the home stretch here. We only got one pack left. What do we need coming into pack three for Ixalan? Yeah, so we look through our pile at the end of pack two. We've got four win conditions now. Zakama, Phoenix, Atali, and Dreadmaw. So we picked up Atali and Dreadmaw this pack. We still have stone zero removal in our pile. I am ashamed. <laughs> I am ashamed. So we, we need to take removal over almost anything now, in my opinion. Defensive speed, we've got Sun Sentinel and Raptor from pack one. We added Everdon Champion as a three drop, Frilled Despiter as a three drop, and then a couple twos in Gleaming Barrier and Raptor Companion and Famished Paladin. In the ramp fixing department, I think we're doing great here. We have uh, two Atsican Seers now. We still have the Pirate's Pillage, the two red-white duels, the black-green duel we're probably not using, and we also picked up Traveler's Amulet, so I think our mana is in very good shape. Mm-hmm. Flying defense, we still just have that Sun-Crested Pterodon. I think this also needs to pr- be a priority in pack three. 
and we need to try to solidify what colors we are base because it's still not clear to me and maybe and i think you've shed some light on that in that you're thinking your base red white is that true uh, well i feels like the, to take advantage of like sears plus stone quarry we should be base red green splashing white but i feel like the two drops that we have are dictating that we should be base white i don't know it's feeling messy right now i'm feeling a little a little messy so we're going to try to solidify what two colors we are base out of our three color naya but the nice thing is that we've got such good fixing that i do think we could support full-on naya yeah that's fair that's fair we we really really good i think all right pack three pick one you see the following options you have treasure map as your rare two mana for the artifact you pay one tap it scry one and you put a landmark counter on treasure map and then if there are three or more landmark counters on it you remove those counters and then you flip it and create three treasure tokens uh, and it flips into a land that can tap for a generic mana or tap sack a treasure or draw a card You've also got a Fiery Cannonade, two in red for the instant, deal two damage to each non-pirate creature, and Ixalan's Binding, three in a white for the enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, you exile target non-land permanent and opponent controls until it leaves the battlefield, and your opponent can't cast spells with the same name as the exiled card. Yeah, so this is a super close pick, in my opinion. So in a vacuum, I think Treasure Map is the most powerful card here. Like, I think Mm -hmm. it's intrinsically more powerful than Ixalan's Binding, and it does a lot of things that our deck wants to do. It offers card selection to help dig us towards our bombs. It offers card advantage once we flip it. It offers ramp to ramp us to Zakama. It offers fixing to help fix us for Zakama. So, like, Treasure Map is literally, like, the perfect card for our deck. Unfortunately, we don't have any removal spells at this point. So I think that bumps Ixalan's Binding, like, way up. And it's Ixalan's Binding is already a stellar card. And I think the fact that we have no removal here means we've just got to bite the bullet and take Ixalan's Binding over Treasure Map. But I, I think, you know, if you wanted to be... I think the greedy pick is Treasure Map, and I think the conservative pick is Ixalan's Binding. And I think the fact that we have no removal bumps it towards Ixalan's Binding for me. Yeah, I mean, you're right. In defense of my taking Treasure Map, I think... My experience with Sakama, and I've had experience with the card a fair bit, is that, like, if you can build your deck around just, like, digging for it, it, like, acts as, like, pseudo-removal, because if you can get it down by turn 7, it's just gonna, like, blow up two things and then take over the game. Yeah, you just win the game when you cast it. Well, not when you cast it, but when it resolves. But I think, so I think Treasure Map really does that. Like, it does all the things you said, right? We, like, get, like, three shots at scrying towards it, and then once it flips, it's turning into a land itself and providing three treasure tokens. So, yeah, I think... I think it's a, it is very, very close, and I really, really should have probably taken the removal spell, but I think Treasure Map is really defensible here. No, I, I agree. I think it's 100% defensible. I think it's, I think it's greedy versus conservative is what it is, but I, yeah. I think they're, it's super, super close. All right, what do we got in pack three, pick two? You see a lightning strike and nothing else competing with it, and thank goodness because we need, <laughs> we need removal. Need removal, yeah. One in a red, deal three damage to target creature or player at instant speed. Pack three, pick three. I think this is a really interesting choice. You see a Shining Aerosaur, four in a white for the three, four dinosaur with flying, and Territorial Hammer Skull, two in a white for the two, three dino. When it attacks, you tap target creature and opponent controls. Yeah, I think this is a pretty unintuitive pick here, coming from the land of Ixalan, where Hammer Skull was just like head and shoulders better than Shining Aerosaur. But if we look at what our deck is trying to do, we're trying to stall out the ground, play some defensive cards, and then play our bombs and win with our bombs. So Territorial Hammer Skull is not like attacking with, you know, like our two, three, four drops is not how we're planning on winning the game. So essentially in this deck, Territorial Hammer Skull is like a two and a white, two, three blocker, which is not great, like not where you want to be. No. And so I think Shining Aerosaur is just like considerably better than Territorial Hammer Skull here and is a pretty clear pick to me, but just feels a little strange coming from Ixalan. So it's an evasive threat. It could be considered a win condition, and it's also going to help shore up our defense against Flyers. For sure. So Shining Aerosaur is the pick. Moving on, pack three, pick four. You see the following options. Deep Root Warrior, one in a green for the 2-2. Two, two. Uh, Merfolk, when it becomes blocked, it gets plus one, plus one. Stormfleet Pyromancer, four and a red for the 3-2 Pirate. When it enters the battlefield, if you attack with a creature this turn, you deal two damage to target creature or player. And Unclaimed Territory, the land that taps to add a colorless, and when it enters the battlefield, you choose a creature type, and you can add one mana of any color to your mana pool to cast spells of that creature type. Yeah, I think this is a pretty clear Unclaimed Territory, and here's why. So I don't often like these, like, colorless fixers, but... With our awkward mana base with the Atskin Seers, I think this has the dual option of being able to come into play and name Human to cast Atskin Seers or Knight of the Stampede, or if you've already got the mana to cast your Atskin Seers, then you can use this to name Dinosaur and it'll be able to cast most other stuff in your deck. 
Yeah, that makes sense to me. Moving on to pack three, pick five, we see another unclaimed territory. Uh, we see a pounce. This is one and a green for the instant. For target creature you control, fights target creature you don't control. There's a commune with dinosaurs, single green for the sorcery. Look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal a land or dinosaur card from among them. Put that card in your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. Slash of Talons, single white instant. Uh, Slash of Talons deals two damage to target attacking or blocking creature. Uh, New Horizons, two and a green for the enchant land. When it enters the battlefield, you put a plus minus one counter on a creature you control. An enchanted land can tap for two mana of any color. And there's a Fathom Fleet Firebrand, one and a red for the two two human pirate, one and a red smoke breathing. Gets plus one, plus oh until end of turn. Yeah, so this is interesting here. I think we definitely probably want one of the two interactive cards in Pounce and Slash of Talons. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they both do different things for the deck, right? Slash of Talons is going to provide early defense against threats that are killing you turns two and turns three. And with the the large bodies we've got, Pounce can potentially deal with some bigger threats Mm -hmm. uh, a little later in the game. And I think I'm more worried about losing to bigger threats right now. So I think I'd land on Pounce here over Slash of Talons. Yeah, I think it looks like at this point I was thinking I was base red-white, just based on, like, the two drops that I had being red-white and, like, awkwardly splashing for Atsuken Seer, which is, like, never really where where you want to be, like, splashing for fixing. But it's, like, fixing and ramp, and also it can, like, recur a dinosaur, so it felt like it was worth doing that. So with that in mind, I like grabbing Slash of Talents here because I think it's so good against opposing flyers. Like being able to pick off a Kitesail Corsair or, I don't know, the Warkite Marauder, uh, other like like little threats that are going to be tough to deal with, a Vampire Revenant, um, and not being contingent on already having a creature in play like Pounce is. It's like Pounce is really not like, I mean, it's a two mana play, but it's like a turn five play. Yes. Mm -hmm. Whereas like Slash gives me that early interaction that I'm lacking because by the time I get to turn five, like I can stick my Suncrested Pterodon or I can stick my Colossal Dreadmaw and then sort of I'm in the driver's seat was, was what I was thinking about, but uh, I could definitely see grabbing a pounce here and, and deciding to be more green, red, splashing white. Yeah. Uh, what do we got in pick six? Moving on, we've got Wild Growth Walker, one and a green for the one three. And whenever a creature enters the battlefield and explores, you get to put a plus one, plus one counter on Wild Growth Walker and gain three life. Colossal Dreadmaw, four green green for the 6-6 six, six Trample Dinosaur. Ravenous Daggertooth, two and a green for the 3-2 Dinosaur with an Enraged Trigger of you gain two life. And Elaborate Fire Cannon, the two-mana artifact that has four tap, deal two damage to target creature or player. And then uh, it doesn't untap during its controller's untap step. And at the beginning of your untap step, you have the option to discard a card to untap it, to reuse it. you got to load up that Fire Cannon again with a card from your hand. So it looks like now is when I'm deciding to take removal, which is kind of weird. But Elaborate Fire Cannon is sort of off-theme. Like, Elaborate Fire Cannon is good in a deck that, like, stops at, like, five like it's really nice in a vampire deck that like needs some reach or something um or has some like extra cards or like has no use for extra lands this deck has use for lands i can't imagine ever wanting to like pitch lands to elaborate fire cannon you know i could see bringing it in against opposing flyers because it's good at picking off like cheap evasive threats but other than that it feels like i probably should have taken like dreadmaw or ravenous dagger tooth here yeah, it looks like to me that you're thinking you're red-white and maybe not going to play yeah. Colossal Dreadmaw in the deck. And then in that case, Elaborate Fire Cannon makes a ton of sense to me. So it just is making sure you've got a good picture of what you want the deck to look like. Yeah, I think I, I should have taken Daggertooth here. Like, we don't need Dreadmaw, even if we're green. Like, we've already got, right, we've got three fives. We've got Shining Aerosaur, Suncrested Pterodon, and Charging Tuscadon. We've got an Atali and a Colossal Dreadmaw. And we've got Zakama. Like, we've got our top end. I don't think I need another six drop. Yeah. Makes sense. Pack three, pick seven. You see a crushing canopy, two and a green for the instant. Choose one, destroy target creature with flying or destroy target enchantment. Rummaging goblin, two and a red for the one, one goblin rogue. Tap, discard a card, draw a card. Kinjali's collar, single white for the O3 human cleric that makes your dinos cost one less to cast. And another fathom fleet firebrand. Yes, yeah, super interesting pick here. I think the deck could reasonably play any and all of these cards. Mm-hmm. So Crushing Canopy provides flying defense, albeit probably on the splash. And Rummaging Goblin's digging us towards Zakama actively, which is something we want to do. Kinjali's Caller providing ramp for us and some defensive speed. And Firebrand is just like a perfectly serviceable two drop uh, that's going to trade off and or trade up in the late game. I think I would settle on Crushing Canopy here because I'm a little worried about shoring up our Flyers matchup, and I believe we currently don't have any outs to enchantments, and there are a lot of good ones running around, but we'd be happy with any and all of these cards, I think. Yo, you've got outs to enchantments, baby. It's a combo. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> I think I agree with you with Crushing Canopy. Uh, I'm just like looking back on this draft is, is making me just realize like I just didn't take removal and I don't know why I mean I do know why I was really just like I know what this deck's game plan is and its game plan is to resolve our nine drop and the way that we do that is to ramp and dig for it and so Rummaging Goblin felt like the pick that lined up with that plan the best but Crushing Canopy lets us not die to flyers and lets us get around enchantment removal or good enchantments uh, just period so I think I probably should have just grabbed the Crushing Canopy here yeah. So, and I think the counter the counterpoint to that is, you know, we're so we're our whole episode here is about drafting with a plan. Mm-hmm. Your opponents, if they're good players, are also going to be drafting with a plan, and their deck's going to have a plan. And I think you need to make sure that you can stop the opposing plan. And if you run up against someone whose plan is flyers, crushing canopy is going to be a welcome addition. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. So, pack three, pick eight. You see the following options: sleek schooner, three mana for the vehicle, the boat. Uh, it's four three, and you have a crew cost of one. Suncrown Hunters, 4 red red for the 5-4 Dinosaur with the Enraged Trigger of deal 3 damage to the opponent. And Commune with Dinosaurs, green mana for the Sorcery that lets you look at the top 5 cards of your library and put a Dinosaur or a Land card into your hand. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why. I can't tell you why I took Sleek Schooner here. I have no reason. There's like no way that I would probably want to run that in the deck. So it feels like I should have taken Commune or Suncrowned Hunters here. And we don't need another six drop, so I probably should have just taken Commune. But I guess I just thought I was base red-white at this point, and I was just deciding that that was the case. Right. Commune is not a good splash, for sure. Yeah. But if we were red-green splashing the Atskin Seers, which probably is what we should have done, and then just been okay with not having the weird weirdness of, of not many two drops, uh, I, think, yeah. I think Commune with Dinosaurs is the pick here. Moving on. What do we got? Pack three, pick nine. Uh, another Crushing Canopy, another Fathom Fleet Firebrand, a New Horizons, and a Ravenous Daggertooth. Yeah, there's a lot of good options here again. Crushing Canopy would be a great sideboard card. Fathom Fleet Firebrand's a fine two-drop. New Horizons is great ramp and fixing, especially since we're, you know, we keep talking about our mana, but it's a little demanding, I think the word would be. Yeah. And then Ravenous Daggertooth, also, you know, a fine three-drop filler card. It's going to keep you alive, gain you a little life. I think the clear pick is New Horizons, uh, and maybe we're going to be green maybe not but if we are it's gonna be great yeah i grabbed new horizons here but i think probably still should have just grabbed crushing canopy like our fixing and ramp is fine at this point right we've got an amulet we've got the unclaimed territory we've got two red white duels we've got two atzikens ears i think we're just gonna be awkwardly like pretty flat naya but i think our mana is gonna be fine and i should have grabbed the removal spell here but i took the new horizons yeah how does the draft round out uh grabbed a demolish for the sideboard that's the three in a red blow up an artifact or a land uh some nonsense cards river herald's boon ritual of rejuvenation uh we wield another new horizons like pick 13 and then round it out with an encampment keeper and a plains which just let us know that naya was open so we got a mountain forest and plains at the end of each pack beautiful i love it <laughs> so what's the recap of this draft like what does this deck look like uh, yeah, we've got our our win conditions in Itali, Zakama, Dreadmaw, and Phoenix. Although we didn't end up playing the Dreadmaw, we ran the 4-4 Dino Trample guy. What's his name? Charging Tuscadon. Yeah, thank you. We ran that instead of the Dreadmaw. So we still had four, uh, four win conditions, and we could count uh, Pterodon and Aerosaur in this category as well. Like, they, they do double duty. They provide flying defense and their flying win conditions. Mm-hmm. Our removal looks like Lightning Strike, Slash of Talons, and Elaborate Fire Cannon. So I think our deck might struggle against uh, maybe opposing bombs or opposing large creatures, uh, especially if they're flying. Yeah. Our deck just folds to an air elemental. Definitely a tough card, uh, except unless you've got Suncrested Pterodon. But so we got some defensive speed, same as last pack. Uh, we didn't really change there. We still got that same assortment of two and three drops at the bottom of our curve. Uh, ramp and fixing, we're in wonderful shape there. We've got the double Atskins here, the Pirates Pillage, the Red White Duels, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We added Treasure Map, Unclaimed Territory, and Double New Horizons, which we didn't end up playing the New Horizons. But uh, Treasure Map and Unclaimed Territory, like our, our deck should have no mana problems, I don't think, despite being three colors. Flying Defense, we've got Suncrested Pterodon and Shining Aerosaur. So a little light there would have been nice to have some Crushing Canopies, but I think we're probably going to be okay against Flyers. Yeah. Because, you know, you, you made the point we've also got Lightning Strike and Slash of Talons, which do very well against the cheap evasive Flyers. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, we're, not, we're we are soft to flyers, but not super soft. Like, we have the cheap interactive spells. We've got the two good five drop white flying dinos, and then obviously, once we land as a comma, we're gonna do work. 
And then uh, a question I had, because I was just reviewing this draft log Mm -hmm. for Ethan was like, what base colors we are, because it felt like there was this tension. I kind of wanted to like late into pack two and into pack three push into base red green. And I think you were thinking base red white, which led to some of the differences in opinion uh, of our picks. But it seems like we solidified into base red white for the actual deck. And we've got a picture of the deck list uh, in the show notes, and we'll link that just in the regular description of the podcast as well. And I think the deck looks great to me. We did draft with a plan, and it just looks like we're maybe a little soft to flyers and or opposing bombs. Yeah, I mean, the deck worked out great. It did 3-0-6-0, like didn't drop a game. But I don't want to be results-oriented. I think the deck could have been better if we had picked up some some good removal in the like Ixlan's Binding or the Divine Verdicts. But that would have made the curve a little more awkward. And I do think, like, I, I don't have access to the sideboard, so I would have been curious to see, though I guess we have the whole draft log, so we have that. But if we hadn't been base white, we really didn't have a lot of plays before turn three. Like, we had a gleaming barrier and a lightning strike, and that was about it. And we, like, had the opportunity, I think, to grab a hardy veteran, maybe. A hardy veteran and, and some two drops here in pack three. I think there's some red two drops you could have grabbed here in pick three. Like, could have grabbed a firebrand at some point? Yeah, I do think there's a world where you could have gone red-green. Yeah, I think that's probably true. And that, that might have been a better, more consistent deck. Like, red-green splashing the Sears and the Flyers, probably. Yeah. Yeah, that might have been better. We did end up, the green we ended up running was two Sears, a New Horizons, and a Night of the Stampede classic splashing for fixing well but you do have like the other good fixing to support the splashing of those mm-hmm. fixing cards and atzikens here does so much more than fix right yeah it's not not embarrassing later in the game like you don't need it on turn three right that's how that draft worked out so definitely really informative for me going back and being like i really should have valued a few of these cards a little differently and i definitely i think i got stuck in thinking i was red white too early I think I was a little less flexible in terms of like, well, I still could be base red green. I think I just sort of let the two drops dictate what my base colors had to be, which I didn't need to do. Super interesting. All right. I think that's a good place to wrap us up here. For sure. Thank you all for uh, for going through that with us. So Treasure Hunt still going on for Rivals of Ixalan. In fact, I just saw Strix Familiar post something on Twitter. Uh, He got exclamation point lunch unlocked. So those are still going on. And reminder, if you get entered, uh, if you get five of those completed, you get entered into a giveaway for uh, a draft set of RIX. So the three packs and the two tickets. And we'll be giving away four of those draft sets. Um, And we've already got that 15 hour stream unlocked. Thanks to the hard work of Generation D20 and everyone in the Lords of Limited community. Yeah, super, super awesome to see that. If you want to get those screenshots out to us or just send us some nice little messages, you can find us in a variety of places. Uh, I am at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. And we are both under those same usernames on Twitter, uh, at Lord Tupperware for me, at Mr. Metronome for Ben, and at Lords of Limited for the podcast. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, you can shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Yep. Thanks, everybody. See you later.